a, a small piece of business. You know, they asked you to just uh, a moment ago put your Connect card away, but would you do this? Would you pull your Connect card out? We're going to actually take a little poll that I think you're going to want to participate in. I bet you have an opinion about this. On the back of your Connect card, you're going to see there's an A, B, C, and D. And I typically end a message with these, but today I'm going to start with option C or D. Now, you're smart people. You know what a C and D is. C or D, all right? Now, here, here's, here's what happens. Change around four corners is constant. And we've been evaluating a couple of things, and we've tried to figure out how good are we at meeting our goal of making sure that we have plenty of time for three things here on Sunday morning, plenty of time to do enough worship to where we feel like we've honored God and lifted our spirits as we focus our attention on him, plenty of time to deliver the message, and then plenty of time to honor our commitment to the rave to be completely out of here by 1130. Everybody and everything has to be gone. And honestly, we have felt crunch, crunch, crunch to do that. And so what we're wanting to do potentially with your input is to back our service time up at the time change to 9.45 or, if your opinion is this, keep it exactly at 10 o'clock. If we back it up to 9.45, it buys us about six more minutes of service time, removes our crunch on the back end for all the folks that set up and tear down. And uh, we'd like your opinion. So if you would like to start the service time on the Sunday, that time changes. The Sunday you get an extra hour's sleep, you'll give up 15 minutes of that and begin at 9.45. That is option C. Would you please put an X right beside option C? And then option D is you would like to continue to start at 10 a.m., so if you don't have an opinion, please choose option C, which is mine. I'd like to sway your vote. Or check option 10 and join the teardown team. Either one uh, would be helpful. Now, in sincerity, we will poll these, make an honest decision based on what your input is, and you will get everybody that turns in a Connect card the uh, information about that uh, this week on about Wednesday uh, through your email, okay? So you can put that away from now. We'll use options A and B in just a moment, and I'll remind you about C and D at the end of time. Now, I want to take you back a few weeks ago where we introduced the uh, topic called ecclesia. It's a word that is translated often in our Bible as church. It literally means the called out ones. And Pastor Greg did a great week, a great sermon last week when he talked about being bold. And I'm going to show you how in the Old Testament, those that were called out of Egypt, the first congregation called together to begin living in community, the work of God, how they were unbelievably bold and what a challenge it was for them to do that. So let me take you back a few thousand years ago to the story of Moses in the bulrushes, in that little basket his mom made for him and raised in Pharaoh's house and standing in front of that burning bush as God speaks to him and says, I want you to go. And he says, here I am, God, send me. And then the events begin to kick in. There is dramatic display of God's hand all over the movement of what's going on in that group of people who've been called out. They find themselves very quickly at, the, at the, the, the junction of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army, and there's a strip of land that they're standing on, these some two million people led by Moses. And on the one side is the Red Sea, and they can't move forward, but their destination lies on the other side. And on the other side of that strip of land is Pharaoh's army barreling down upon them in very um, fast chariots with sharp spears. And they're wondering what they're going to do. And God opens up the Red Sea and they pass through on dry ground. And it's a major victory. And everybody goes, oh my goodness, I can't believe God takes care of his people like this. 
And they go a few days into the desert and they find themselves without water. Nobody, you know, all of the water supply they had brought, whatever they brought was gone. And, you know, where are you going to find water in the desert? And God instructs Moses to take his rod and strike the rock. And water comes out of a desert rock. And everybody's nursed. They take their baths. And I'm sure they were smelling by this time. And they drink. And they, the little kids are taking care of them. They're playing in the water. It, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And a few days later, they're without food. And God begins to rain down manna from heaven. The word manna, by the way, you want to know what the word means? It's very technical. It means, what's this? Literally. The word means, what's this? And it rains down on the sky, and they eat it, and it tastes sweet, like the sweetest, most awesome bread. And God, each step begins to take care of them. And every once in a while, there's a, there's a band of marauding um, soldiers that want to come through and kind of mess with the group that God is moving towards the promised land. And each time, God takes care of them. And they go about 40 years, about 40 years traveling through the desert. And there's a reason why they were. God wanted to do a couple of things in their life. He wanted to get them out of Egypt where they were slaves, enslaved to an old way, enslaved to a system that wasn't God's best for them. He wanted them to get out of Egypt. He also wanted Egypt to get out of them. He took a lot of time to guide and direct and to mold and shape them, to build them into a group of people, now catch this, so that when they get to the promised land, they'll be ready to not simply reinvent Egyptian society in the promised land. They'll be ready to live as a new kind of people. And it's true that when you look at their story, the story of the children of Israel in the Old Testament under the leadership of Moses parallels the story of the church in the New Testament. A group of people who have been called out to live a different way in the world. And God wants to rescue all of the church folk from the world, but he also wants to get the world out of the church. And he wants to get them ready for all that he has for them. We've gotten to see that a lot around here in this particular expression of the church of Jesus in the world. We're not a better church. I'm not even sure we're all that different. You can find a lot of churches like us. We're not necessarily special or smarter and we're not any prettier. Um, I think we might have better music than many. That's just my opinion. And I like to say the preaching's okay. It's just what I like to say to my wife at least. And, uh, but all that being aside, God's wanting to do some pretty remarkable things here. And over the last seven years of our journey together, as God has gotten us ready for what he has for us, we've seen him do incredibly crazy things. Just last Christmas, this church joined together in the middle of an economic recession, and we built a church in India for a group of people that were struggling. We all, many of us at least, carved out money Instead of buying gifts that probably people didn't need, we carved out money and we sent money over and we helped out a guy named Pastor James and we built them a congregation. And throughout the year, we've sent them more money for, for different projects. The year before that, we carved out some $35,000 and we built wells in Uganda and some 3,000 people a day now drink fresh, healthy water because of what this church was able to do. Because what we've been doing is seeing God do work in our lives. I had some statistics run this week for me and over 10,000 bold steps. People who've said, I'm gonna take one more step in my relationship with God have been taken since we started keeping count of those. Hundreds, thousands more before we even started counting. Just under 600 unique individuals have made first time decisions to follow Jesus. 
Some 170 people have been baptized in this church since they put their faith in Jesus as a sign that they want to go public. Dozens of marriages restored and growing towards health. We've seen God do remarkable things. I was talking to a couple this week in our church, and they were telling me about the journey that they've been on in their marriage lately. And as they were talking about their journey, I thought about how that all the journeys that God sends his people on have similar things in common. Very often we're aware of the journey because of a pressing need in our life, or we're aware of a challenge that we're facing, or there's a sense of opportunity that we'd like to press into. In other words, we sense a bit of a gap between where we are and where we would like to be. This was true in their marriage. So they began to press in and have honest conversations and talk. There were a couple of sermons that were given from this stage in our old building at Zion Global where um, they heard some stuff about marriage and they kind of ramped up what they wanted to do. It raised their expectation. It raised their behavior. They began to communicate. And for the last couple of years, they've been working on their relationship. And they were sharing with me how wonderful it's gone. They know they got a long way to go. But just this week, the reason we were talking was after all the work they've done, after all the forward momentum that has happened, just this week, a bombshell was dropped on them. Something outside of their control, a change in their circumstances happened that has put an unbelievable level of stress. And so the lady says to me, why does it seem like when you go so far, like we've made so much progress, like, like you can almost see what it's gonna be like and you're almost there. Why does it seem like every time you get to that point, something else falls on you. And I said, you know, I, I don't know exactly why in this case. I know that God has a plan. And then I shared with her, you know, I got to tell you, I don't know, because um, it's never happened to me that way. No, I didn't say that at all. It's happened to me that way a lot. Of course, it's happened to you, I bet, that way on occasion. And it happened to the children of Israel. In fact, I want to take you in the Bible to the very place where that is exactly happening. They've made an unbelievable distance through the desert. They've seen God's hands show up. And now they're standing within sight of the promised land. The very thing that they began their journey to 40 years ago. Remarkable change, unbelievable challenge, the faithfulness of God, God growing and working in people. The very thing that all that has been leading to is right, literally, I mean, literally right across the water. And they're excited. Man, I don't know if you can imagine that, but if you put yourself in a similar situation where you've been working towards something, a raise or a promotion, or you've been working to ask that girl out, or maybe you've asked her out and now the date is just a few, and you, it's like it's within reach. It's right, you can almost smell it, taste it, touch it. It's so close, you can see it up. And then, and then you're aware that even though it's so close, there's still a bit of a gap, a real challenge. Well, that's, that's exactly where they were. And so Moses does something pretty remarkable. He gathers all the tribes together. There were 12 people groups, 12 major families that came together that made up this nation. And he said, each major family is gonna send a spy into the land to tell us what it looks like. Each of you are gonna send one. So we're all gonna have some equal sacrifice here. Because if we're gonna take care of the big thing, if we're really gonna get over there, before we can move in, we need to know what's going on. We need to assess the situation. We need to do our work, be fully prepared. So everybody bring a representative and we'll send them across and they'll spy out the land and come back and they'll give us a report. And that's exactly what happened from the tribe of Judah and Ephraim and Manasseh. 
and Zebulon, all 12, that's as far as I could go, but all 12 lines, they, uh, they, they began to spy out the land and they come back and they begin to give their report to Moses and something dramatic happens. They have an emotional experience like the one I was describing earlier. They knew all that God had done. They'd seen his hand at work. And here they are right on the brink of the thing. It's close. I mean, it's only going to be a matter of weeks until they're there, right on the brink of the thing. Of the 12 spies that go, 10 come back and begin to say things like this. Oh my gosh, this is going to be tough. The people in that land, they're giants. I mean, they literally stand head and shoulders above us. They're huge. And they have fortified cities, walls that are massive. And yeah, the land is wonderful. The promise seems phenomenal. They, say, they use this phrase. It's kind of poetic. They say, literally, it looks like the land flows with milk and honey. In other words, like everything we could ever want is there. But the, the hurdle is huge. And the, all 10 of them said, I, I, don't, I don't think we can do it. I, I don't know if I have the stomach to keep on. It's been such a long journey up to this point. I don't know that I have the stomach to keep going. It's been a challenge. It's been uphill both ways in the snow, it feels like, our entire journey with God. And so here we are, and we have a taste, and we're getting excited, and we can see but my goodness, it's going to be massive. Well, that was the report of 10 of them. Two of them. A guy by the name of Joshua and another guy by the name of Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, they say, we hear what you're saying. And in one sense, you're accurate. They are big. And in fact, the fruit of this land is so special. And I remember, they've been traveling through the desert. It's been rough for them. They saw fruit, grapes, growing on a vine. The bunch of grapes was so large that when they picked one, as they were spying, they put it on a pole. It took two men to carry the, the bunch of grapes. It would have been, they're saying, it would be really nice. And so Joshua and Caleb say, we hear what you're saying. It's a challenge. It looks great. But they, in opposition to the other 10, they say, if the Lord goes with us, we can do this thing. <laughs> 10 of them looked at their circumstances, had the same history as the entire 12. They looked at the next few steps they had to take and their report was, mm, I don't think so. And two looked, had the exact same experience, looked at the opportunity and said, if God is with us, if this is what God wants for us, this is not going to be a challenge at all. Or you could word it this way. Whatever challenge it is with God, we're going to be fine. Something had happened in those two over the course of the 40 years. They are, by the way, <laughs> they are the ones who originally left Egypt with Moses. They were likely children at the time. And they had seen, just as the other 10 had, all the miraculous things that God had done. And for these two, that knowledge of what God had done inspired them. It built their faith. It didn't in any way make them shy away from the real challenge that was in front of them. They were as wide-eyed and aware as everybody else. But they had an internal working that said, we've seen how this works. If God is with us, 
We're fine. If we follow God, we're fine. If we give our efforts to what God says we should give our efforts to, we're good. Whereas the other 10 saw the same dramatic move of God. They saw the same miracles working all around them. And when they looked at the exact same obstacles that Joshua and Caleb looked at, their report was, I, I don't think so. I mean, I know we got water out of a rock. I know God rained down food. I know that he's protected us against these traveling bands of marauding soldiers. I, but have you seen the size of those people? They're, they're massive. I don't think we can do this. Moses disbanded the 12 and the 10 with the negative report. The Bible says they begin to go throughout the entire community and spread the report. We, we can't do this. And Joshua and Caleb stood in opposition and said, yes, we can. That's where the story picks up for us in Numbers chapter 13 in your Bible, if you'd like to go there. Numbers chapter 13. You'll hear a little bit about what I've just talked about in the actual text, and then we'll go from there, all right? Numbers 13, here's what it says. They came back to Moses, the 12, and to Aaron, his helper, brother, leader, and the whole Israelite community at a little area called Kadesh in the desert of Paran. Those are just geographic terms that are particular to them. Everybody reading the story when Moses wrote the story down would have known where those places were. And they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here's the fruit. Here's the proof. Here's the evidence that what God wants for us is good. We, we see it. We have advanced knowledge that God's heart for us is good. Here's the fruit of the thing. Verse number 28 continues this way. But, but, the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak. Now, we don't know necessarily who Anak is, but they all do. And when they said Anak, everybody went, oh, Anak, oh. Anak was a very large, powerful king. He, in fact, was very tall. And when you looked at this king, you thought, oh, we know why you're king. You're clearly the strongest among us. And they're descendants of this guy in that land. And the Amalekites live in the Negev, near, near the water. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites, just people groups. They live in the hill country. And each time they went through those names, you know, the Amalekites, the Hittites, everybody was like, oh, 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 you know, and it was just like, you could, it was like fear just kind of pressing down on people. They live in the hills. And if we can't get near the river and we can't get near the hills, we can't even go near, near the, the other water because there the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan River. In other words, every square inch is overrun by people that are massive, people that have resources we don't have, people that seem to be better positioned. And if we go up against them, we're dead. We're dead. We're not, we're not going to be able to do it. Now, here's something that I was reminded of as I knew what I was going to be talking about, and I was talking with this couple, and I was reflecting over the life of this church. It's a very simple statement. In fact, if you would like to pull out something and write this statement down, uh, you might find it very ha ha helpful. I, I don't know. It was very helpful to me. It was clarifying. That often, 
success with God, like fully embracing God's agenda, experiencing what he wants, grabbing hold of what he has for you, happens. Success with God often happens at the intersection where preparation meets opportunity. Often, success with God happens at the intersection where preparation meets an opportunity. For 40 years, God had been preparing them, getting them ready, teaching them that things like water and food are important, and God knows they're important. He knows what you need. In fact, Jesus said these very words, talking about water and food a few hundred years later. He looked at his crowd in his day and he said, your heavenly father knows you have need of these things, water and food. He knows. They're not too big for him. He can take care of the necessities. For 40 years, God had been preparing them, teaching them his character, that they could trust him, depend on him, rely on him that if they gave themselves to following his way, it may be difficult. He never promised it wouldn't. But you would never get stuck. He would never be unaccompanied. And if you continued to follow God, he would take you to the end with which he had in mind when he started you on the journey. He would take you there. They had been learning that. They had seen it dramatically displayed. God had been preparing them. I shared with this couple who was going through the marriage stuff about some of the things I knew about their story and how God had been developing them and stretching them and growing their faith and making them come to terms with the fact that in each one of them, there was some of the world that needed to be pulled out. And how outside of what was going on inside of them, there were circumstances in their lives, some of which they were responsible for, some of which happened to them, that God was saying, I'm bigger than those things and my plan for you is bigger than those things. He was getting them ready so that when the challenges in life come, when there really is an obstacle between where you are and where you believe God would have you go, you can trust the character of God because you have history here. I got to tell you, I've been right there as a pastor. We have, as a church, been in existence for seven years. It's been an amazing ride. Honest to goodness, I share the story of what's going on in our, in our church and what we've seen God do to other pastors. I chat with them fairly regularly. And they're like, Ben, I, I, I can't believe it. I, I don't understand. I, I wish, could you send some of your people over? And I say, no, I'll kill you if you try to take anybody from our church. We, we just don't allow that here. Once you're in, you're not allowed to leave. It's kind of the way it goes. And I, and I, say, I say to them, you know, and when, when I'm talking, you can see them. They're like, get excited. They're like, I can't believe God has been, oh my goodness, really? Are you, are you making, because pastors, we don't trust each other. Like, are you making that up? And I'm like, no, really, this kind of stuff happens. It's unbelievable. In fact, when I tell the story, often they get more excited than me. And as I watch them, I, my faith gets built up. But then I, I share with them things like, you know, when we were at the rave the first time, because this is like rave 2.0 for us. When we were at the rave the first time, and we went from $700 a week in rent to over $2,100 a week in rent, like in a month's time. And we were like, we couldn't believe it because we were young and small at the time. We were able to afford that. But then last minute they said to us, you gotta be completely gone at 10.30. You gotta be out of the building. And we're like, nobody wants to begin church at like 8 a.m. in the morning. So I guess we gotta go. And we had no control over that. And I remember the despondency and the challenge we felt. We felt like in that moment, honestly, the 10 spies, we had felt like, God, you've done so much for us. 
And here we are. We can smell it. I mean, you're going to do great things. And here we are now. You Come on. Don't you care, God? Come on, God. Come on. God, help us here. And then we moved. I mean, no control. And we're in an amazing facility at Lakota West. And we get a call on a Friday afternoon. Hey, we're getting ready to, you know, ramp up our construction. And we're told you're in our way. And we're not going to be able to get things done over the summer. So we're ready for the fall. So you guys are going to have to move. And I'm expecting the next sentence to be, you got a month. And he says, and so this Sunday's your last Sunday. And I'm like, I'm the 10 spies. Oh, God, help us. Jesus, Lord, God, what are you? Oh, my God, what are you doing? And I called, would you please pray that God would strike down the decision maker, (laughs) that he would take him out. I read about this stuff in the Old Testament. I know what happens. God, would you? And then instantly, like within a matter of hours, there's a door that was open for us. And then we're at, we're at, you know, Zion Global, our old building before we were here. If you were with us on the journey, you know that it was an ugly, rough space. And I stand before the congregation. I said, we got an open door, but the challenge is big. And I'm thinking, I don't, the journey has been tough. And I said, guys, it's going to take like $48,000 to get ready for this thing. And within just a matter of like five days, we not only have our budget, we got an extra $48,000. And over seven days, we completely revolutionized the look of that place. So we're able to bring a sense of pride and joy to the building that honors God, not to ourselves, of course, but to a building that would honor God. We wouldn't be ashamed to invite our friends to. And we rallied. But at the moment when we first were making the journey, it was the same thing for me. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever felt that way in your marriage? Or like with your kids? Like we've done so much and now one more obstacle? That happens to me financially. I don't know if that happens to you, but it's like, you know, you, you make a decision to move forward. You, you save some money. You pull some things back. You begin to save up for the thing you want, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, you thought the insurance was going to cover this, but they don't. Or, or you have an unexpected thing over here with your vehicle or something, you know, some hidden expense shows up. And you know, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but oh my goodness. Can I tell you what God wants for us to think and reflect on in those moments. He doesn't want us to pretend that the challenges aren't difficult. What he wants is for us to remember that he's bigger than that stuff, that he has a track record that outpaces us. In fact, his track record is longer than you've been alive, which means when you come to those hurdles, no matter how wonderful and glorious the goal is, the hurdle that stands in front of it, those last few challenges. Instead of being like the 10, God wants us to have Joshua and Caleb-like faith. Greg talked about boldness last week, that what you look for, God will begin to show you. And you'll actually see opportunities to step forward and be bold. The same thing's true with your faith. God wants to grow it and stretch it. And he wants us to depend on him in a way that makes our words, our hearts, our minds categorically different than what maybe natural circumstances would dictate. Instead of being like the 10, he wants us to say with Joshua and Caleb, if God is for us here, we're good. It's it's not pretending that the challenges aren't big. It's pretending and knowing and having assurance and believing and speaking that our God is bigger. As I was talking to this couple this week about their marriage and about this real challenge in front of them, God was speaking to me about us as a congregation. 
seven years old. And this next year, like over the next 12 months, is going to be the most dramatic change in the life of this church. It's going to go much deeper than changing our service time, if that's what you guys want to do. It's going to go much deeper than changing our service time 15 minutes. But I'm a pastor. I know how this stuff works. The smallest changes in some people who are on the fringe tend to, you know, walk away. And so you're like, ah. Or you look at the real obstacles in front of us, like next week when I show you the big opportunity in front of us and I show you the pictures. Many of you have already heard about this. Some of you have no idea, but we're moving and it's happening sooner than later. And the pieces are already lining up. There's already been miracles. When I share with you some of the story over the next, you know, Sunday and two, you're gonna be blown away. And then remember a couple weeks ago, I asked you to save out November 13th, that Sunday night at 6 p.m. When I give you an opportunity to walk through this facility with us, you're gonna think, oh my goodness. And many of you might have the reaction that the 10 spies had. This is huge. (laughs) It's big. The obstacles are massive. And you'd be right. They're huge. It's big. But the other side of the story is, which is more loud, and it's true for our church uniquely, it's true for you personally, but it's true of all the people who are called out by God that do their best to follow him with sincerity and boldness and faith. While the challenges are big, our God is bigger. And we're going to have an opportunity to do what each of those tribes had, to step up equally, sacrifice, press in, go, and spy out the opportunity, and then come back with a report. Is God in this? And then secondly, if he is, do you believe he'll take care? I've had to do it in my finances. I've done it in my marriage. I've done it kind of navigating the changes that have been thrust upon this congregation. And I've never been more excited to do it again. We believe that a permanent home for this church will radically change the dynamics and what we're able to do. We believe it will strategically position us to do better ministry that honors God and reaches more people it will fundamentally change the dynamics of how we interact with each other. It won't change our values. It'll give our values a chance to thrive. We believe it'll say to our community, oh, that church is serious. We we know they're cool. (laughs) I mean, they meet in the theater. The music is loud and they've got kind of a young audience. That's what I keep hearing. And I also hear they have amazing volunteers. I can't pastors say to me, how do you get people to? I'm like, oh, it's because I'm genius. It's clear. <laughs> no, i like, I don't know. People, we just like ask people and they step up and pastors all over the city are like, well, I do that and nobody does anything. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe you should send them to four corners. It's just a thought I'm having. <laughs> but we are uniquely at the intersection where I think the children of Israel were, where the people of God have often been, where you're gonna be in your life if you haven't been already, where the preparation that God has been doing for us puts us right on the verge of what he has for us, where preparation is going to meet an unbelievable opportunity. And God's going to look at each of us and say, now, what is your report going to be? Is your report internally going to be, God, if you're with us, we can do whatever you ask us to do. Or is your report going to be because of the way you're wired and the hurt you've had and whatever else might be going on in your life going to be, 
Oh my goodness. This is so huge. I don't know if, when. Now notice, Moses did send spies in the land and got all the preparation and the detail. There's a lot of pre-work. And over the next couple weeks, I'm going to show you that stuff. You're going to see there's been unbelievable diligence. You're going to love this. But what I want to ask you to do is in your personal life and in our corporate life as a church, let what God has demonstrated about his character up to this point speak as loud, I would ask you, louder than anything else speaks to you. And out of that place, make a decision about whether God's asking you to go there with us and to be a part of making that happen. Let the character of God and what he's demonstrated over time speak louder than anything else. I would ask you to do this in your marriage. If you're here today struggling and you're like up against a wall, I would ask you to look back throughout history, look back through your own history and see if you can't see God's hand working details out to put you in a position to thrive and grow and develop and grab hold of what he has for you. I'd ask you to do that in your finances, in your parenting. I'm telling you, friends, success with God is often, is often happening at the junction where preparation over time meets an opportunity. And God looks at us and says, now, how are you going to contemplate this? What are you going to do about this? I'm really excited. I'm going to show you some unbelievable pictures and design. I'm going to share with you some stories that just in the last 10 days have happened that, would, that will blow your mind if you have any sense of what happens with real estate and that sort of thing. It's like, God, we already see you. And then I'm going to blow your mind with just how big the challenge is because it is. And yet we're going to step up. We're going to see God at work. And some of us are going to feel a little, ah, it's Okay. Moses fully understood what the challenges were, but he fully understood his God better. So come the next two weeks as I dig into details and show you exactly what this staff and the core leadership of this church, our board, believes is God's next steps for us as a congregation. You're absolutely gonna love it. Grab out your connect card and let's look at next steps A and B. I know like to go many weeks without giving this opportunity. It's very simple. It's what we started this church for, was to give people an opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus and grow in a relationship with Jesus. So next step A says, I want to receive Jesus into my life as my forgiver and as my leader. You could say as my savior, that's forgiver, and my Lord. That's kind of the biblical language. But he's the one who's going to cover my past and then lead me. And I'm going to let him drive. I'm going to take the back seat and let him lead my life. If you want to do that with God, if you're like at one of those points where you say, I need to re-up and let God lead my life. Hey, check that box. This is a first time or it's a recommitment if that's where you are. Go ahead and check the box and put your confidence and stake your claim on the side of God and watch what he does for you. All right, and the next step two, or B rather, it's uh, I want to get baptized on Sunday, December 12th. We were pulling out names and data around our baptism and I just got fired up as I thought about the number of people who have given themselves to the public display and saying, God, you're on my side. I'm letting the world know I'm on your side and you're at work in my life. You wanna do those two things? Um, Hey, either one, check that box. And now as a general for all of us, I want you to make sure you're here the next two weeks and hear these details. You're gonna love it. Next step C, just as a reminder, you wanna start at 945. 
give us an extra time, do maybe another song, a little bit more worship, and to just make sure we're out of here on time without killing our volunteers. And the next step, D, is if you prefer 10 a.m., it's okay to vote for that, all my joking aside. Let's pray, and then we're gonna do some amazing worship to our great God. Lord Jesus, you're fantastic. God, this week, uh, I have been reminded about how great you are. And as I talk about your goodness, God, as I share the stories of testimony that I've seen you work, it grows me, it stretches me, it makes me more confident in you. And yeah, it doesn't necessarily change my circumstances, but it certainly changes how I see my circumstances and how I see you and how I see me. God, as we stand as a church on the brink of unbelievable change, exciting change, we want to have the spirit, the faith of Joshua and Caleb. God, we want to be so connected to you that we believe whatever you ask of us, if you go with us, it's okay. Even when it's difficult, even when it's huge. I pray this, Lord, in the powerful and holy name of Jesus, the strong son of God.